Okay, are you ready to get into the Word this morning? All right, we're going to get straight into it. First Peter, chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 22. The Scripture's going to be up on the screen behind me, but if you've got your Bibles and you want like me and you want to do it the old school way, feel free to follow along. All right, from verse 22, it says this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, <coughs> sorry, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Church, why don't you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we just lift up this time of opening your word and delving deep into what it is that you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your scripture so that you reveal Jesus Christ to us. Lord, I pray that as we come to the word, it would not just be a time of knowledge sharing, but it would be a time where your Holy Spirit uh, brings life and brings revelation into our hearts. Father, I pray for those people who need a word from you today. Lord, I pray that you would speak into each and every one of those situations, each and every one of those circumstances. Minister to your people, feed your people. We love you, Lord. You are a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I wonder, I wonder, have you ever, church, have you ever seen in one of those epic battle movie scenes that is um, so common, so, so common? The one that comes to mind when I'm, I'm thinking about this is Braveheart. I don't know if uh, you guys have watched Braveheart, anyone? Yeah, Uh, for all the younger people, it was a movie that came out in 1995, so it might be beyond (laughs) uh, your time. But uh, there's there's this epic battle movie scene, and it's repeated through a lot of war movies, right? Where uh, there's this scene where these two armies are about to come together. They're about to fight, right? And uh, what you see is they're all preparing, they're all gearing up, they've all reached their, their, their marching lines, they're all standing, getting ready, and then you can the camera pans through and you see the soldiers, some are looking fierce, some are looking a little bit scared, a little bit wary, eyes darting around, trying to figure out what is going on, right? And then 
Inevitably, what will happen is one of the armies will start marching, right? They'll start marching first. It's a slow walk. They're marching in and then it becomes a slow jog. And soon they're shouting, they charge, and it's a full-on sprint. And then the other army, the defending army, is standing there and they're just seeing this wave of enemy forces coming in at them, right? And as they do that, there's those who are stealing themselves and trying to uh, be strong and confident. And then there are those who are starting to look a little bit worried, a bit, bit overwhelmed by everything that's going on around them. And then in it, inevitably, there is this famous shot where it pans to the leader of the defending army, right? And he's standing there, steely gaze, eyes looking forward at the enemy. And he's trying to boost the confidence and the morale of his troops. And what's he always saying? He's always going, hold! Hold, steady, steady. And he's, he's holding the line. He's, he's keeping the morale of the troops. He's saying, don't break, don't break. Keep where you are. Have you guys ever seen those kind of scenes before? And then inevitably the, the clash happens and you know, epic movie scenes, Lord of the Rings, whatever, whatever suits your fancy. But I bring this up because the letter of First Peter is basically, in essence, the Apostle Peter's Hold, hold, steady to the church. Remember, he is speaking to a church that is undergoing suffering and persecution for Christ. They are being ostracized for their faith. And so what he is dealing with is he's encouraging them to suffer well. And he's doing this by reminding them of what they have already received in Jesus and their new identity in him. And we've covered it in the last few weeks with Pastor Benny's message and Pastor Arthur's message. And I hope you guys have had time to digest those. But for now, his next encouragement is from verse 22. And he encourages them with this. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter is, enc is encouraging believers not just to direct their love towards the Lord, but also to love each other deeply and from the heart. In other words, church, can I, can I encourage you with this, right? The Christian faith, being a Christian is not just about the vertical relationship between us and God. It is equally as important about the horizontal relationship between you and I, between brothers and sisters in Christ. Have we got that? It is not just about our vertical relationship between us and God, but it is also about the way we love one another. It's both loving God and loving people. Therefore, church, we cannot be an island unto ourselves. You know, we have to get out of our language that, you know, this is just between me and God. Because the Christian faith is not just a faith between you and God. It is also uh, an expression of love made manifest between God's chosen people. It is both vertical and horizontal. We are both called to love God and love people. First John chapter 4, 20 says this beautifully and also quite, confront, <laughs> quite confronting. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother and sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now, how do we know that we love each other? Especially with the kind of love that Peter is describing here, a deep love. A sincere love that is from the heart, that is not just superficial. Well, if we take Jesus Christ as our model, then the Bible says love is defined by laying down our lives for one another. 
First John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now for Jesus, that literally meant him dying on our behalf. Now church, today, we may not need to be dying physically for one another. But the principle, the command of laying down our lives for one another still holds true. So if we are to say that we love each other, it does not matter how much we say it with our mouths. It doesn't matter how much we say to each other, I'll be there for you, I care for you, I have your back, I've got you, I'm on your side. But are we willing to go out of our way to inconvenience ourselves to care for someone else? Are we willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters? Are we willing to give up our personal time to serve the church or to build others up? Are we, are we willing to put off buying the latest and greatest thing that we want so that we can be generous to other people? Are we willing to get a little bit uncomfortable to love people who look different and think differently to us? If not, then I'm afraid that by the Bible's definition of love, we aren't cutting it. We aren't yet meeting the mark. Because while this society, it teaches us to look out for me, myself, and I, our Lord Jesus commands you and I to consider others better than ourselves. It's a high and lofty standard. So don't gloss over this like, oh, love one another, great. You know, I've got it. I go out for lunch with my CG once, <laughs> once in a while. I love them, they're great. No, 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 no. Love is defined in the Bible by how much we are willing to lay our lives down for one another. Amen? And then Peter gives the reason for this love. In uh, verse 23 and 24, he says, uh, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter says that we are born again by the living and enduring word of God. What was Peter referring to when he talks about this word of God through which people can be born again? Remember, okay, at this time when Peter is writing this letter, Scripture as we know it has not yet been written and compiled the way that we have. So immediately when we think as New Testament believers now in 2022, we think word of God means the Bible, right? Well, newsflash. In Peter's time, Bible wasn't put together yet. In fact, in the Jewish mind, the, the Bible was only the law and the prophets, right? And no one was born again by that. Everyone was looking forward to something, but no one was born again by reading the law and the prophets. So what exactly was Peter referring to? The word preached to these believers was the gospel message. That was what resulted in them being born again. The good news of Jesus Christ. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God, the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what they were born again by. And that is what should result in their love. This is the same word that you and I stand on today and are born again by today. That Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, died on the cross for the penalty of our sins, was buried, but hallelujah, was raised to life again, giving us a living hope, amen? That we too, we too can be raised from the dead and death will have no grip on us anymore. And now the life that we live, we are free to live to the glory of God, amen? This is the living and enduring Word of God, the great news of our risen Saviour and the hope that we have in Him, amen? 
that no matter what happens in this life, the truth will remain. This is the enduring word. Jesus Christ died, he was buried and rose again. And whosoever would put their faith and their hope in him will have hope and life forevermore. Amen. Now there's a pattern here that I want us to begin to uh, notice here in 1 Peter chapter 1. You see, this is the very, uh, this is the third time that the Apostle Peter uses the word imperishable uh, or adjectives along those lines to describe what believers have. Um, In verse four, he says, you have been uh, born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So he talks about an imperishable inheritance. In verse 18 and 19, he says, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now Peter talks about the imperishable word of God. So if I could summarize this chapter, what is the significance of all of this pattern that's emerging? It would be that Peter is encouraging a suffering church to remember what is eternally theirs and could never be taken away from them. What is, he, see, he's, what is he saying through the whole of chapter one? He's saying, look, you have an inheritance in Christ that will never spoil, fade, or perish. Therefore, rejoice, praise God. Secondly, you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, fear God and be holy. And number three, now he's saying, now you've been born again through the living and enduring message of the word. So, love one another. How could the church that is undergoing and facing persecution, continue to remain joyful, holy, and loving to one another in the face of suffering and persecution. It is by living beyond the here and now, remembering what they had that could never be taken away. You know, just like in those movies, you know, what is it that as the enemy forces are running towards you, what is it that stops a soldier from turning tail and running? from cowering? What is it that forces them, that causes them to have the grit to stay there and fight and stand against waves and waves of opposing forces? Isn't it because they remember what it is they are fighting for? Isn't it because they remember what they have that they don't want to lose? Their freedom, their country, their family, their friends? In the same way, wouldn't it be natural for the church in the face of persecution to get discouraged, right? rather than to rejoice, to abandon the holy way of living and to conform to the way uh, of life that society around them is ridiculing them for? And wouldn't it be easy for them to separate and dissociate themselves from other believers? I want to distance myself from from other people who are getting persecuted because that's that's not a nice experience. I want to be accepted. But for the church, here's the difference, right? We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a victory that Christ has already won for us. We aren't fighting for our inheritance or to be redeemed and to be born again. These eternal things have already been given to us. We are already born again. We are already redeemed. We already have an imperishable inheritance. These eternal things have already been won in Christ for us. All we have to do is heed the call of the Apostle Peter when he says, hold, hold, steady, steady. You know, in other words, You know, enduring suffering requires us to fix our eyes beyond the here and now onto the eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 says this, for our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary, temporal, here and now, are achieving for us an eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. You know, for that church, even if suffering for Christ meant losing their material possessions, even if it meant them losing their position in society, even if it meant them being ostracized, even if it meant them uh, being looked down upon, even losing their very lives, what Peter is pointing them towards is what can never be taken away. Their eternal salvation secured in Christ, purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, delivered through the living and enduring word of the gospel. Now for us today, here's the question. Do we live with eternity in mind? Peter's encouragement to the church back then was, hey, 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 don't look at what's happening around you now. Yes, it's not denying it, but remember eternity. That is what guides what you live by. But for us today, are we driven by the here and now or are we driven by eternity? Do we make our choices based off what benefits us now and here Or do we make our choices based off of what brings God pleasure? Who we are in Him. Our inheritance in Him. Who He calls us to be. Something to think about. Temporary or eternal. And now, he goes on, uh, which to my third point, which is this. Uh, He says, now that you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, you have tasted that He is indeed good. Peter's next instruction. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. Like newborn babies... Crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, the text here, it says that you are, you and I, we are to crave pure spiritual milk. Some translations use the phrase the pure milk of the word. Now the word crave, uh, in this text, it can also be used to uh, translate it as to long for, to yearn, to desire, to pursue after, even to lust after. And note that here in this passage, it says craving is linked to growing up in our salvation. You know, church, you know, one of the signs of someone who is stagnating in their faith and in their walk with God is when the craving has stopped. Do you notice the analogy that Peter uses? It's of a baby craving for milk to grow. You know, remember, uh, what, what, what is this pure milk of the word? Remember, take off the New Testament lens just for a minute. The Bible, as we know it, still has not yet been formed in that time. So what is this pure milk of the word that Peter is referring to? I would put forward for our consideration that the pure milk that Peter is talking about is again the message of Jesus Christ. That as we think about, as we meditate on, as we ingest the message of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, what he has given us, who he will, what he will do in the future, that this will lead us to transformation and spiritual maturity. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, 16, it says this famous words, let the word of Christ, the word, the message of Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And here's the thing, you know, as believers, the one thing, and you've got to catch this, you've got to catch this, church, As believers, the one thing that will help us to continually and sustainably grow in spiritual maturity is your revelation of who Jesus Christ is. What else, what else can cause a person to live a life that is upright and holy, to to put others before themselves, to constantly put God at the center of their life than the right revelation 
of who Jesus Christ is, especially, especially in a world and a culture where self-gratification and self-glorification is the name of the game. What else? Sure, 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 some guy can stand up on a pulpit and, and preach to you for a week and maybe motivate you and inspire you. But will that lead to spiritual maturity? Definitely not over the long period of time. Anyone who has tried uh, reading through the Bible, at, you know, from the start to the finish, you know, January 1st, and then by the time you hit January 2nd, you're already, mm. you know, we aren't great at disciplining ourselves, self-controlling ourselves, white-knuckling it to reach spiritual maturity and grow up. But what is it that sustains us through every season, through highs and lows, tough times and good times, to grow up into spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness? Isn't it our revelation of who Jesus Christ is? If we truly understand and we know and we have a deep conviction in our hearts and a revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world, then it will cause us to walk in spiritual maturity and lead to life transformation. After all, after all, church, if the aim of spiritual maturity is to be like Jesus Christ, then wouldn't it be natural for us to have a clear revelation of Jesus Christ for us to lead to that point? Otherwise, what else are we aiming at? How else can we reach spiritual maturity if we do not have a clear revelation of Jesus Christ? And what better way, what better way to get the revelation of who Jesus is than by spending time in the Word of God? By digesting the Word of God, by asking God, God, who are you? Show yourself to me. Show me your character. Show me your ways. But be careful. Be careful here because this is where religion and faith can sometimes get into a, a bit of a weird conflict. Um, there's a big difference between just reading the Word and pursuing revelation of Christ through the Word. Big difference. Let me put it this way. Take two people, for example, all right? Two people. The first person comes to the Word dutifully, reads it through cover to cover, perhaps for the sake of knowledge, maybe to lead discussion in uh, our Connect Group Word, maybe to share at a meeting, preach on a Sunday, uh, maybe to have interesting and uh, you know, conversations, debates, theological conversations with friends and, and people who are interested of the like. Person A. Now this person B. Person B comes to the Word and he prayerfully asks Christ through the Holy Spirit to reveal himself through the Word, to make clear his character, his ways, asking God, God, would you transform my life through the revelation of who you are? Now, which of these people do you think is craving pure spiritual milk, right? Obviously, it's the second person. When you see someone who craves after Christ like this, you can be sure, you can be certain that that person will not stay spiritually mature for very long. I challenge you to find someone who pursues after God that way and is still spiritually mature. You won't find it. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it is possible for a Christian who has been a Christian for very long, for many years, maybe even know all the popular verses to still live like a spiritual baby, right? What's the difference? What is the difference? The difference is whether or not someone has craved the revelation of Jesus Christ in their life. Amen? Amen. And here is where we get to one, I think, of the most important passages in First Peter. This is the great setup. Um, 
Later on in First Peter, he's going to launch into a whole bunch of application points. How Christians should live, how you should submit to authority, how you should live in the home uh, with, with family, how you should be in the church, how you should be at work in between slaves and masters, uh, how you should uh, navigate all these situations in life. But for now, this is the anchor passage that sets up the rest of the, the letter. It deals with the reason why a Christian should behave that way in the first place. Because if you don't get this, then all the rest is just moot points. But this passage informs us who we are today as well, as believers in Christ. Let's read this through carefully, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2, from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Okay, it's a little bit cryptic, but let me try and unpack it a little bit for us. So here we see Peter using the metaphor of a spiritual house. In other words, a temple. A temple building, right? Where Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are the other stones that make up the rest of the temple forming the church, capital C Church. Everyone with me so far? Now this behind me is a picture of a cornerstone. There we go. Voila. What is so special about this cornerstone? What is it that makes this cornerstone so spectacular? Well, in ancient times, right, when someone was coming to build a building, the cornerstone was the very first stone set in the construction of the building. It marked the location. It was the first thing that, um, that marked the position, the alignment of the building. It was what every other stone in the house takes reference from. Do you see that? So it, it marks the border. It marks the direction of the walls. It marks the layout of the building. It is the, the foundation and also the guiding alignment stone for the rest of the building. So here is what Peter is saying. We, the church, are built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. He is the reference point that we fall under. We fall behind this. He determines what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, what is in the building and what is out the building. And so this is where Peter starts to draw a comparison between those who put their faith in Christ and receive him versus those who reject him. In verse seven, he says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, everyone say, but you, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And here's what it really boils down to. Okay? Now catch this. Everybody in this building, catch this. This is what it really boils down to at the end of the day. How you see Jesus and how you relate to Him determines everything. Absolutely everything. 
You either are for Him or you are against Him. You either put your faith in Him or you reject Him. There is no middle ground. There's no room for Jesus just to be a wise man or a good teacher or a prophet. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who saves His people from their sin. And those who are not saved from their sin from their sin will reap sin's reward. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if you put your faith in Jesus, He becomes the cornerstone. He becomes the firm foundation that leads to eternal life with Him. But if you reject Him, He becomes the stumbling block that you fall over as you reject the giver of life Himself. And that path only leads to death destruction and torment in the end. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Eternal life is available for everyone in this room today, but it depends on how you see and how you relate to Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the linchpin that holds it all together. So how you view him this morning determines everything. Whether you call him your savior or whether you're just here talking about Jesus because you've been in church for the longest time, wherever the stage of your spiritual journey is at, maybe you haven't even heard about this Jesus before. But how you see Jesus determines everything. It determines how you live, it determines your eternal destination. It determines the life and the, the, the vitality that you can experience both in this life and in the next. How you see Jesus determines everything. Peter says that those who put their faith in Jesus, um, thankfully, death and destruction is not who we are anymore. Remember what I said, but you... But you, that is not who we are, but you are no longer bound for de destruction and death. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter is using language. He's using language from the Old Testament here. Exodus and uh, I believe it's Hosea. To say that the, the privileges that God previously bestowed upon his chosen people of Israel are now available to all people, to you and to me, even today. Whatever the privileges Israel had as God's special people are now given and made available to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We are not just the spiritual house of God, but the Bible says we are now a holy priesthood. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be a priesthood? Well, the priesthood was meant to be an extension of God himself here on earth in charge of representing God and ruling creation on his behalf. What does the priest do? If you and I are called to be royal priests, we, that's who we are now. What exactly does a priest do? Well, Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 summarizes it quite well. Um, when it talks about, um, when this passage in Peter, it talks about uh, the spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 um, elaborates and it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Or as Peter would put it, what a priest does is we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We declare his praises through our songs and the things that we sing. We declare his praises through our lives, what we honor, 
our time, our energy, and through our love for others. That is who we are. That is what we are called to be, church. Are you catching this? We are a holy nation, a chosen people, set apart, separated, especially for God's good and special purposes. Can anybody say amen to that? Church, it should make us feel so good this morning when God tells us that we are His prize, His delight, His treasure, His trophy. We are His special possession. Come on, is that good news or what? The God of the universe delights over us. This is our identity as those who are saved by Jesus Christ. Now, this is the significance for uh, when Peter was writing this to the church that was undergoing persecution. This is the significance of what that meant for them. So just as Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that was rejected by people, but chosen by God, in the same way, so the church was rejected by people, but chosen by God. But he says, those who put their trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. Peter is essentially saying, I know it's hard, I understand you're undergoing some really tough times for your faith. But remember, this is your new identity in Christ. You are not of this world anymore. You are exiles and foreigners here. You are now the people of God. So keep going, keep honoring God, keep loving others, keep doing good, suffer well. In other words, in other words, it's not about what happens to us on the outside that should define who we are and how we live but it is our identity in God that defines to us who we are and how we live. For them, it's not about suffering and persecution or circumstances that determines who the church is and how they should live, but their identity as the people of God. In the same way, for us today, it is not our outside circumstances that should define to us who we are and how we live. It is our identity as the people of God, the royal priesthood, the special possession, chosen people of God that should define to us who we are and how we live. Now let's, 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 let's really dig deep here. All right, let's really apply this. It's not inflation. It's not the economy. It's not our finances or our dreams in life that should dictate to us how we live and who we are. It's not the prevailing government. It's not the pandemic. It's not strange ideologies and the culture that we live in now that is pervading our society. It's not the views of even our close ones, our boss, our friends, our family, our spouses. We are not bound by the things that we go through, no matter how hurtful or genuinely tough these things may be. These do not define who we are and how we live. God defines who we are and how we live. And we know that if we put our trust in Him, the Bible says we will never be put to shame. As long as we live for Him, even if it means, even if it means losing temporary things in this lifetime, we know that we are standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. Even if it means we lose out in comparison to the Joneses next door, even if it means that we lose the place that we so want and our dreams in this lifetime, even if it means we live, live a less comfortable life than we would so desire in this life, as long as we put our trust in Him and continue to live for Him, we are standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that will never, never spoil, never fade, 
never perish. We have a message that will endure through the ages and we have a God who is a firm foundation. Amen? Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet with me? Please allow me to pray. And then I wanna be able to give um, an invitation, a couple of invitations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you are the linchpin that holds everything together. You are the cornerstone. How we view you, how we relate to you, how we receive you determines everything. So right now in this place, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would glorify yourself in our eyes. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would show, uh, give us a revelation, a special revelation of who you are, of what you have done for us, of the inheritance that you have purchased for us, so that we can live for you, so that we can be this spiritual house that you have called your holy people, your special people, God, your special possession. Lord Jesus, right now in this place, would you build us on the firm foundation that is Christ? All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, we will stand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right now, it would be remiss of me if I didn't give everyone here the opportunity. Is Jesus Christ in your life, is He gonna be the cornerstone? Or is He a stumbling stone for you? Will you receive the giver of life or will you stumble over Him and reject the giver of life Himself? I don't know your journey or where you've been. I don't know how long you've been in church, long or short. But right now, the Word of God is leading us to a point where he's, the Holy Spirit is asking this question, how do you see Jesus? How have you received Jesus in your life? Maybe you haven't received Him into your heart at all. Maybe you've been in church for a while, but to be honest, you're just doing the outward workings of church, but in your heart, you know, I haven't put Jesus where He needs to be. I don't recognize Jesus as the Lord of my life. I don't submit my life to Him. I don't live for Him. Right now is an opportunity for us to correct that. So if I could, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, if the Holy Spirit right now is tugging on your heart and He's saying, this is it. Jesus Christ determines everything. How will you respond? Will you receive Him in this morning? Will you submit your life to Him? Will you say, Jesus Christ, You are the cornerstone. You are the Lord of my life. You are the King of kings. I submit myself to You. Not my will be done, Your will be done. Will you make that call today? If that is you right now, with no one looking around, just lift your hand nice and high. I wanna be able to pray for you. Raise your hand, keep it up, keep it up. As a way of saying to the Lord, Lord, this is it. I choose from this moment on, I wanna view you rightly. I wanna receive who you are into my life. Just keep it up nice and high. Hands going up all over the place. Praise God. One last moment and then I'm gonna pray especially for these people who have their hands up. Just look, very last opportunity, just lift your hand, raise it right where you are. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you see every hand that is raised up right now. 
Lord, You see that Your Holy Spirit is knocking on the doors of their hearts. You see that they are starting to realise that Jesus Christ is the key to everything in their life. How they view this life, how they view the next, how they view what they do, their priorities in life, how they view their salvation, how they view what even the Christian faith is all about. Right now, Jesus Christ, Right now, I pray, Lord, that You would reveal Yourself to them. Right now, I pray that You would show them just who You are. Show them Your magnificence. Show them Your glory. Show them the grace of God in their life. Show them the mercy and the abundance that You have for them. Show them the plans and the purposes that You have. Show them the instruction and the direction that You are leading them on. Show them the the eternal inheritance and power and life that they have in You the abundance of every good and perfect gift that comes from the Father throughout Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that You would show that to them right now. Lord Jesus, I pray especially for those who have never accepted You as their Lord and their Saviour. Right now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as they put their trust in You, as they put their trust in, in what You have done for them on the cross, what You have won for them, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would come to know You truly and intimately, Lord. It would not just be a prayer that they made, but Lord, that they would walk closely with You. They would hear the voice of Your Holy Spirit as You bring them to life in Jesus Christ. Right now, I pray, Lord, that You minister and You do what only You can. Bring new life into these dry bones. In Jesus' Name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.